Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Hey, good morning, Grace Crossing. Oh, come on, how you doing? Hey, air high five, wave to somebody around you. Tell them you're glad to see them in God's house this morning. It is so good to be back with you. I think we're becoming family. Is that all right with you? Becky and I really like it here. We're glad to be back again and glad to be a part of this series on Unshakable. It has really uh, got me thinking quite a bit. Uh, let's look at it again. Uh, let's look at this key verse. Pastor Gill's passed on to us from Hebrews 12. Here we go, all right? Verse 28 says this, since we are receiving our rights to an unshakable kingdom, we should be extremely thankful and offer God the purest worship that delights his heart as we lay down our lives in absolute surrender, filled with awe, filled with awe. When Pastor Gill first texted this uh, verse to me, I, I was immediately taken back by it, Pastor, and I began sharing it with people around me. It, was, it just felt like a real now verse for the church during these times. And my, my teacher brain immediately started exegeting the passage because it speaks so strongly uh, in, a, in a world and in a season where, well, uh, in the immortal words of uh, Jerry Lee Lewis or Little Richard, there's a whole lot of shaking going on right now. Isn't that right? There's a whole lot of shaking going on. And this passage says, this verse says, since we are receiving, we're in process, and we're becoming, we are heirs in the making of an unshakable kingdom. So we should be extremely thankful that we have life in this kingdom through Jesus. And, and we should offer the purest worship, which is not just worship that happens in a moment of encounter in a sanctuary, although these are important times of worship when we gather together. Worship is not just encounter in the sanctuary. Worship is incarnation in the community as we live our lives as worship, doing all that we can do to the glory of God. Let's offer purest worship that delights God's heart and laying down our lives in surrender. Um, folks, it's not time to hold anything back from Jesus. And this is no time to have a plan B in God if things don't work out the way that we think they ought to work out. And we're to do all this, the scripture says, filled with awe. And whenever I see this word awe, I think of one thing. I think of what the Bible calls the fear of the Lord. You see, the fear of the Lord, by definition, is having that awesome depth of respect to God that causes us to want to obey him in detail in all things in life. That awesome respect of God that causes us to want to obey him in detail. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Isn't that right? The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is... Um, is loving what God loves and hating what God hates. The fear of the Lord uh, is being more concerned about what God thinks than what people think. When we think about more, when we're more concerned about what people think, that's called the fear of man. The Bible says that's a, like a big old bear trap. It's a snare. It gets a hold of us and won't let us go. The anecdote to the fear of man is the fear of the Lord being more concerned about what God thinks than what people think. And I love Proverbs 22, 3, that says, humility and the fear of the Lord bring what? Wealth, honor, and life. Humility and the fear of the Lord bring wealth, honor, and life. Filled with awe, and as my mind exegeted this passage, I also immediately began to think of a Bible character. His name's Daniel in the Old Testament. 
And I wasn't thinking just of Daniel because of his visions of this unshakable kingdom 25 centuries before these words are penned, before our day to day. But I'm thinking of Daniel and his character, Daniel and his lifestyle, Daniel in the days in which he was called to live in this unshakable kingdom. Daniel was thankful. You know, no negative word was ever spoken about Daniel. Uh, there was zero dirt on Daniel in his life and through the word of God, we see nothing but impeccable character. Daniel offered pure worship before his God and in his culture, standing before Nebuchadnezzar and saying, I'm not gonna eat that stuff, but I will serve authentically. Daniel's life was one of surrender. I wonder, did, did he find himself serving the one who's responsible for the death of his parents as nobles in Israel? Absolute surrender serving the one responsible for the destruction of the city and culture that he grew up in and loved. Daniel filled with awe and the fear of the Lord. I don't think anything marked Daniel more than the fear of the Lord. And that brought that wisdom because Daniel was always more concerned about what God thought than what people thought as he, as he lived his life. And then one final thought invaded my mind is, is you turn me on to this verse from the Passion Translation. And, and, and that thought, um, that invaded my mind um, was a unique phrase that Jesus uses in, in Luke chapter 21. You know, Luke 21, Matthew 24, Mark 13. These are all passages of scripture when Jesus describes the end of the age. The disciples said to him, what will be the sign of your coming? What will be the sign of the end of the age? What will be the sign when everything begins to wrap up? And, and Jesus begins to talk about wars and famines and earthquakes and and deception, and signs in the heavens. And he goes through all this, but, but in verse 24, he says this, catch this, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. The times of the Gentiles. Not just a phrase as a part of the prophecy, what's gonna happen at the end of the time, but Jesus is talking about an era in history called the times of the Gentiles. Today's, or the Passion Translation calls it the days of world empires, until the days of the world empires are fulfilled. The New King James, until the age of the Gentiles is fulfilled. When Jesus talked about the times of the Gentiles, he was talking about this era in human history, where the political affairs of mankind are put in the hands of Gentile pagan kings. And I thought about this as I read this verse. Times of the Gentiles, so when did it begin? Oh, it began in Daniel's day. When Jerusalem was flattened, the temple was destroyed, and suddenly Babylon becomes a world power. And Nebuchadnezzar is that world ruler. When, when did it end? Uh, you know what? It hasn't yet. <laughs> We're still living in the times of the Gentiles, all right? It spans Old and New Testaments. It moves into our day. And in a real sense, we share the same era as Daniel. Times of the Gentiles. And as we share the same era as Daniel, Daniel can become a model of how to navigate seasons of chaos, seasons of challenge, and seasons 
of uncertainty. I, I'd like to say Daniel was there at the kickoff and we're in the two-minute warning. He was there in the beginning. His life becomes a model for unshakable, living above the, um, above the chaos. Nebuchadnezzar may have thought he was calling the plays for Daniel and his friends, but the truth is, in reality, this God, our God of this unshakable kingdom, planted a light in the darkness called Babylon. Through Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, Abednego, and others, he planted a light. I like to think of it as this way. For God so loved Babylon, he sent Daniel. Into the chaos, into the darkness, into the uncertainty to light the way. Before we read about Daniel's life here in just a second, I, I want to take a quick stroll through history with you. Are, you. are you guys okay with a little bit of history lesson this morning? Anybody hate history in high school? Come on, you, you be honest. Right. We're going to take a little history stroll here. 606, 597, 586 BC, three years invasion of Babylon into Israel. The last invasion, the temple is flat and the city's destroyed. King Zedekiah at that time, who was listening to false prophets instead of the word of the Lord, last thing he sees with his own eyes is his three sons being put to death. They pluck out his eyes, throw him in a cage, and he's marched off 500 miles across the desert of Babylon as a trophy for Nebuchadnezzar. There's a refugee train of young Hebrews going across the desert 500 miles among that refugee train of thousands is Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And three prophets are operating during this time. Jeremiah is prophesying in Jerusalem. He is the one that is speaking to all those that are living among the rubble of what's left over from the destruction under Nebuchadnezzar. That's why he's called the weeping prophet. And read the lamentations of Jeremiah, and you'll understand why he was called the weeping prophet. But along with Jeremiah, Ezekiel is a prophet during these days. And Ezekiel is in Babylon along the, the river Chebar among all the Israelite refugees living in squatter camps and squatter villages along the river. And Ezekiel is prophesying to the exiles there in captivity in Babylon. And soon Daniel would emerge as the third prophet on the scene in the, kids court, in the king's courts. And everybody's in shock and everybody's in denial. And the refugees just want to go home. They just want to go back to business as usual. Can't we just have it the way it was? So Jeremiah writes a prophetic letter to those living along the river Chebar and the squatter villages in Babylon. And in this letter, he says, hey, heads up. It's going to be 70 years, the Lord says, before you get to go back. It's going to take some time as God works out his purposes. So go ahead and plant, and go ahead and marry, and go ahead and build. And remember, he says in chapter 29, verse 11, he says this. In the middle of this letter, Jeremiah says to them, I know the plans I have for you. You ever wonder where that verse came from? Here it is. I know the plans I have for you for good. My plans are to give you a future and a hope that will not be cut off. He's giving them hope in the midst of their current chaotic situation. And this is the kickoff of what we call the times of the Gentiles. This becomes the context of Daniel's life and ministry, his 70 years of ministry, as he then serves the next three global superpowers and the next four world rulers. He is the man with the ear influencing the next four world 
rulers. Well, let's go back to see how it all started. We're going to look at Daniel chapter 1, and we're going to read it, okay? Uh, it's, it's just a good reminder. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles of the, from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put him in the treasure of the house of his God. Then the king ordered Asphanaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were entered the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the royal food, the king's meats, and wine. He asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned you food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat, water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. Can you say God's ways are higher than our ways? Can we just say that right there? Huh? God's thoughts are not our thoughts. God's ways, ways are higher than our ways. So the guard took away the choice food and the wine they were drinking, gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding, all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of this time, set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them. He found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and the enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. A lot of us have a lot of things we want to do or see when we first get to heaven. But I got to tell you, someday in heaven, I just want to meet Daniel's parents. Think about that. I just want to meet his parents. From David's royal family, somehow they instilled into his teen years before he was abducted, they instilled the unshakable ways of the kingdom of God in this young man. Beyond just knowing the Hebrew scriptures, beyond knowing the law of Moses, beyond knowing the stories, beyond participating in the festivals, Daniel was, let's just say it this way, he was discipled by his parents. Daniel was discipled into three, and this is why I love to describe 
making disciples or disciples. He was discipled into the character, ways, and mission of God. As followers of Jesus, if we're discipling somebody else, what we really are about doing is replicating in them the character, ways, and mission of Jesus. And Daniel is being discipled into the character, ways, and mission of God in his upbringing. Not knowing one day how crucial this preparation would be for his life situation and his life call. One day he suddenly finds himself immersed in a culture so unlike the one he grew up in. Disorientation, disillusionment, what's up next? He went from a culture of joy and family and friendship and predictability that was stress-producing into a culture that I think became stress-reducing into a culture I think became very stress-producing for a season. Can anybody identify with that? Hmm? I... I uh, I think of my growing up years, uh, long time ago, elementary school, about five miles in here over on Braddock in, uh, in, in, in um, Kettering, my whole life growing up. And, and, and I, I think about the culture that I grew up in. And, and in, in my days of upbringing, I, I would say that there, there were five things that I think growing up as a kid in those days that were relatively stress-reducing. Um, family was designed to be self-reducing, was, was relatively safe. Authority. You went to police officers and you went to teachers and you went to coaches and, and there was trust and authority when I was growing up. Stress-reducing community was stress reducing. I remember playing into all hours of the night, all across the neighborhood, across the backyards, and nobody worried about anybody. Community was stress reducing. You know, there was this thing called moral certainty that was stress reducing. It was stress reducing to know as a kid that some things are always right and some things are always wrong. Moral certainty was stress reducing. And, and protective knowledge was, was stress-reducing. There were some things that you just didn't hear about or learn about until you were at an age where you could handle them. And these five things that were relatively stress-reducing when I was growing up, family, authority, community, moral certainty, protective knowledge, today are so stress-producing for the kids and the grandkids that we are raising. And, and, and for Daniel being disoriented, dropped into a whole different culture from the Babylonian perspective, it was retraining time. And he experienced the pressures of an ungodly society. And what was the goal of that retraining? It was, it was to force these young, handsome Hebrews into the mold of the Babylonians. It was to eradicate all distinguishing marks of their culture and previous lifestyle. They did not want any reminder of the culture of the God of the Hebrews among these people while they lived in Babylon. That was the goal. Remove all the distinguishing marks of being a Hebrew. So therefore, Daniel 1 tells us they changed their spiritual routines. They changed their textbooks and education change their language, change their names, change their relationships, change their heritage, and even change their diet. 
Daniel knew in these times of the Gentiles the pressures of giving God purest worship, as Hebrews tells us, in a hostile society where he would repeatedly over the chapters of the book of Daniel experience what we would call today cancel culture. Not going to bow down? Lion's den time. When it got to diet, for some reason that's where Daniel decided to draw the line. And we celebrate his hard no in chapter 1, verse 8. How many youth services, Gil, have we preached over the years from Daniel chapter 1? You just got to say no, all right? Uh, and, and Daniel, you just got to decide or purpose in your heart. That don't, you, don't defile yourself. Stay pure. We, we love that verse as youth pastors and youth workers. Daniel purposed in his heart, he made up his mind not to defile himself with the king's meats. Why, why was this? Because, well, first of all, it was a direct violation of the law of Moses, all right? But secondly, I think in Daniel's mind, it was a first step on a slippery slope. A first step on a slippery slope of compromise and assimilation. And something in his heart just would not let him go there. Why did Daniel say no? Because even though they wanted to mold him into the image of the Babylonians, he was already molded in the image of his God. And God had a big dream, a big plan, and a big purpose for his life. And he walked in the fear of the Lord. Daniel's no stands as an example for us today in the day in which we live as we are receiving an unshakable kingdom and living life in times of chaos and challenge. Anybody uh, remember the movie Wonder about the little kid with the astronaut helmet on? Here's this delightful, deformed middle school boy trying to navigate the cruelty of junior high. And he just wants to give up. He just wants to go away. He wants to, to not have to go through this pressure and this challenge until his mom said to him, son, you can't blend in when you were born to stand out. That's Daniel. And that's our call today. We can't blend in when we were born to stand out. Daniel said no to eating the king's meats. But I, want to, I got another question for you today. He, he said no to that, but have you ever thought about what Daniel said yes to? We, we don't really talk about that, but Daniel didn't say no to everything. He said, he said yes to taking on the name Belteshazzar, which literally means Bel, the god of the, 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 of the Babylonians. Bel, protect him. He, he didn't say no to being called that name. He, he didn't say no to going to Babylon University and studying all the literature and language and magic of the Chaldeans. Not that he practiced those things, but he became very aware. In fact, he graduated top in his class from Babylon U, and he did not say no. He could have very easily said, no way. You're not going to call me that name, <laughs> and I'm not going to study that stuff. 
and they would have kicked him out of Babylon you so fast it would have made his head swim and he would have ended up down by the river Chebar with all the other refugee exiles in the squatter camps. And as he walked in, I can just picture everybody saying, high five, Daniel, you told him, you showed him. And he would have missed the chance of being the number one friend to the next four world rulers. I marvel at his age of how he knew what he could say yes to and what he could say no to so he could lean as far into culture as possible without compromise to make a difference for God. So Daniel, as a model in this age of the Gentiles, figured out how far he could leave into, um, far he could lean into culture without compromise. Daniel, in the words of Paul, figured out how to be all things to all people in the midst of chaos that he might win some. Daniel figured out how to go beyond just being reactive to what was going on in culture to being redemptive in that culture with his life for the glory of God. He went beyond the rules of Moses. He went beyond just personal relationship with his God to a life of representation in past messages in this series. You've heard the word ambassador kicked around from time to time. An ambassador never represents himself. He stands in the place of his sovereign and represents his sovereign in a foreign territory. Daniel became representative, an ambassador in Babylon during these chaotic times. Daniel practiced a life of surrender and worship, delighting God's heart. And ultimately, his lifestyle, his words, his wisdom, his tough stance for God when necessary, ended up swaying the heart of King Nebuchadnezzar so that he would send out an edict to the whole known world to worship the God of Daniel. How great is that? Um, if you'd have met my son Aaron as an elementary age boy, he's in his late 30s now, you would have known him as a kid who never met a stranger. We'd be on a vacation and he'd come walking out in a, of a store with his arm around a little boy his age saying, hey dad, I want you to meet my new best friend. That, that was Aaron, all right? Uh, and uh, ne- never met a stranger. Lover of people, and a lover of lost people as well. I, I, I think today is he and his wife Rachel are church planting in the heart of the Seattle. They're, they're, they're in, a, in, in the first, they're in the second year of a church plant, Capitol Hill, heart of Seattle, six blocks from Chop, loving people. I remember um, his ordination a couple of years ago. And as he was getting ordained, he was bivocational and he was working at a high-end restaurant in the heart of Seattle where he just did what he always did. He just loved on people in the restaurant industry. And as we sat for his ordination, Becky and I, the whole row in front of us, over 20 people, were all co-workers from his restaurant. They didn't know God from a hole in the wall, weren't interested, but they, they loved Aaron. They knew Aaron loved them. They wanted to be with him at this big moment in his life. And Aaron and his siblings, two brothers and a sister, all, all went to public high schools. They grew up, public schools. And, and Becky and I would pray every year 
God make them the influencers and not the influenced in this arena. It wasn't always easy. In, in high school, Aaron uh, excelled in a lot of areas. He earned 11 varsity letters from four different sports, was thoroughly involved in show choir as well, and was a leader in our youth worship team just a few years into our church plant. That worship team won National Fine Arts and worship band. And, and, um, and in those days, Brush High School on the east side of Cleveland was rapidly integrating. And to be honest with you, it wasn't going well. It was a struggle in the community. It was a struggle in the school. The administrators did not know what to do. There was strife, chaos, a lot of pain. And one day, my son Aaron, with a couple of his uh, black friends who were believers in the school, uh, those young guys and young gals were all members of churches of my black pastor friends in the city. Um, they, they approached the administration. They said, we, we'd like to do something. They said, what do you want to do? They said, we'd, we'd like to hold a Martin Luther King assembly this year. Never had been a Martin Luther King assembly at Brush High School. And, and they got permission to do that, a whole school assembly for an entire period. And these students planned it. They planned the music. They planned the program. They had two speakers that day. I, I got to speak to the student body along with a black custodian that was a brother in Christ. And it was a great day, and it went really, really well. And after this assembly, um, we were all invited back to the library, administrators, staff, teachers, end of the day, uh, cookies and punch. And the students have put this thing on, and we're just hanging out in the library. And, and the principal said to these students, hey, just, let's just take a minute. Tell us why, why you wanted to do this. And a couple of students shared, and then they asked Aaron to say something. And I remember my son beginning to talk. And suddenly, out of nowhere, he just took a knee. And he said, I, I just want to take a knee today to all of my black fellow students in the room here. I, I love you, and I know it's not been easy, and I've seen what you've been through. And I appreciate the way you've taken a stand and your perseverance and, and before he get any more words out, suddenly, I don't know, Becky, 10, 15, 20 kids just got up from where they were. And they just all ran. And they mobbed my son in the middle of this room. And there was laughter. And there were tears. And there was joy. And there was relationship. And there was friendship. And, and these administrators of the school, right before their very eyes, they saw what they hoped to see in their whole student body through a handful of what I will call 21st century handsome Hebrew kids. Lights in the chaos, leading the way in culture. I got to tell you, that was one proud Papa day. These times of the Gentiles when life always doesn't make a whole lot of sense, when it seems like as the people of God, we are often victimized, but let me tell you, but always vindicated and ultimately victorious in this kingdom. Often victimized, but always vindicated. In these times of the Gentiles, what can, what can we learn from Daniel, this Hebrews 12, 28 man who was there at the kickoff? First of all, I just want to say 
Christians do not need, a, need to be a majority to influence and impact society. Let's, let's realize that. We don't have to be the majority to influence and impact society. And, and with that in mind, like Daniel, listen to this. Daniel stuck to the playbook in tough times. He, he, he reaffirmed his convictions and maintained his routines that he learned as a boy. Secondly, he lived above reproach. Nobody could ever utter a negative word that would stick against his character because of the way he lived his life and culture. He lived above reproach. That's character. Thirdly, he honored the king, even though he didn't always agree with him. Even though he wasn't a God-fearer, he honored the king. That's the ways of God because Romans tells us to honor the king. Isn't that right? He honored the king and became not just an example to the other Jews around him, but an ambassador among the Babylonians. Daniel, let's learn from him. He went from being, he went beyond reactive to redemptive in culture. That's mission. And there we see in Daniel's life being discipled in the character, ways, and mission of God in his family growing up. But he, he refused to bow down to culture, the culture that he lived in. He was faithful to the end, yet he was a man on his knees all the time. Read Daniel 10. 21 days, he's on his knees saying, God, I need an answer on this. And finally, Michael, the archangel, breaks through and he says, hey, man, I, the, your answer was sent the very first day. <laughs> but I've been in battle for 21 days with the prince of Persia. Uh, you know, that's not a video game today, all right? The prince of Persia, a demonic uh, being in charge of the, 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 the Babylonian area. He says, I've been in battle with the Prince of Persia for 21 days, but I finally broke through. And here's your answer. Daniel was a man of persistent prayer on his knees in the midst of culture. And Daniel did all to the glory of God. As he lived both in this kingdom and from this unshakable kingdom as well, impacting his world. So friends, since we're receiving an unshakable kingdom, I, I love this. You know, Daniel's days were dark and chaotic, but look what God did through his life. How about us? How about you and I? Look what God did through his life. I think of the early church in the Roman Empire and how dark and chaotic those days were and how troubling it was from time to time to be a follower of Jesus and, and, and friends losing their lives, Nero using Christians as torches in his gardens, and, and, and yet Paul would write to Titus, young pastor Titus, these words, and I, I want to read these, these words as we, as we wrap this up, all right? He says, God's marvelous grace, thank you, Lord, has manifested in person, bringing salvation for everyone. This same grace, this is a word for today, teaches us how to live each day as we turn our backs on ungodliness and indulgent lifestyles. It equips us to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age, the age of the Gentiles. For we continue to wait. Jesus talked about it, for the fulfillment of our hope and the dawning splendor, the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus, the anointed one. He sacrificed himself for us that he might purchase our freedom from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people who are his very own, passionate to do 
what is, I love this, passionate to do what is beautiful in his eyes. Does that sound like Hebrews 12 to you? Passionate to do what is beautiful in his eyes. In this season, friends, let's let grace teach us. In this season, let's be patient in hope. In this season, let's be the people of God in culture, passionate to do what's beautiful in his eyes in the eyes of others. You know what? In the Roman world, cultural impact and change didn't happen automatically, but it did happen. As our brothers and sisters to that day lived out the character, ways, and mission of Jesus together, it would be about 150 to 200 years when Tertullian, a brother in Christ, a lawyer, an apostolic father, an apologist in North Africa would write these words. I, I want you to think about where they started humbled and huddled in the Roman world and what Tertullian could write about 200 years later. Look at this. Tertullian said of the church, we are but of yesterday and we have filled every place among you. I love this. Cities, islands, fortresses, towns, marketplaces, the very camp, tribes, companies, palace, senate, forum. We have left nothing to you but the temples of your gods. How good is that? The church infiltrated every area, every strata of culture and society. Believers making a difference in every sector of culture. And God was glorified through it all. These are challenging times, friends. And even though as the followers of Jesus, we may be in the minority, there's no end to the impact that we can have in our culture and in our society as we live out the faith that Jesus gives us. Cultural transformation. God, do it again. Come on. God, do it again. God, do it in the greater Dayton area. Friends, it's a two-minute warning. I want to remind you that your faith is built for times like this, for the times of the Gentiles. We are receiving that unshakable kingdom, so let's be thankful. Let's live a life of worship. Let's live surrendered, walking in the fear of the Lord. And let's stay engaged in the work and in the mission of our God. And let's see what he does in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our community. One final scripture that I did not put on the board, but it so struck me. I just want to read it. It's Paul's words to the Corinthian church. And he talks about unshakable in this passage as well, Pastor Gill. Here we go. So now, beloved ones, stand firm, stable, enduring. Live your lives with unshakable confidence. We know that we prosper and excel in every season by serving the Lord because we are assured our union with the Lord makes our labor productive with fruit that remains Labor that's never in vain, never useless, never wasted, with fruit that remains. Father, we thank you for the power of your word today. We thank you for the example of Daniel as one who has gone before us, modeling the effective, impactful life of faith in times of the Gentiles. God, I pray for 
Grace Crossing, I pray for the leadership team, God, that, that you will lead, that you will guide, that together they will hear the still small voice that says, this is the way, walk in it, God. I pray that, that you would raise them up with a brighter light in the darkness of culture than ever before. I pray that you would give them creative ways to, to serve and to love and to impact the people around them. God, I pray that the hope that resides in our hearts and in this body of believers would be contagious in the community, God, I pray. Lord, I pray that you would surprise us over the weeks and months and years to come as to how steady, relentless faith in an unshakable kingdom and from an unshakable kingdom can bring light to the darkness, salvation to many households, and glory to God across this city. And it's in the name of Jesus, your son and our savior, we ask these things. Now, Lord, I do ask you to bless Gil and Kelly. I, God, I, I, just, I just pray that this coming sabbatical, God, would be more than they could ever imagine. God, I do pray for supernatural rest and refreshing, healing and blessing. God, I pray that you would bring them back to us, not just recharged, but satisfied in a deepening relationship with God and contagious with a greater love for Jesus. God, we commit these things to you in Jesus' name. Can we all say amen together? Amen, church. God bless you. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.